Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Welcome back to our Dangerous Faith series. It's great to have you back with us today. We're exploring the book of Acts in our Bibles through the lens of the persecuted church. If you missed last week, it's well worth catching up because Jake did a great job looking at how God isn't constrained to a temple or a church building. And so if you want to hear that talk, hop over to our YouTube channel and you can catch that. Also, if you might want to go and hop over to our channel and see our coffee chats that we do every week where we explore the theme of the Sunday talk a little bit deeper. So coffee chats on YouTube and also on our Instagram. On the screen there, you'll see some of our key aims as we've been trying to work through this series. And I think hearing back from you that we're achieving some of the aims and some of the hopes we've got for this sermon series to get a better understanding of how persecution released the gospel, to be more connected to our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church, and also to deepen our confidence in God's love and comfort when we ourselves are suffering. So let's watch the next video in the series now, and then we'll come back and explore the themes. When everything goes wrong, when the enemies triumph, when all the weaknesses surface, when cancer strikes, when the bribed judge gets away with it, when the killer walks free, is God still at work? Is his kingdom still growing? Or could it be that even when you feel your life is being smashed apart, God is spreading his good news in a powerful new way? That's the good news about persecution. But it never feels like good news at the time. Years ago when I was traveling in China, I met someone who had known the great Chinese leader watchman Ni. Ni was one of the great figures of Chinese church history. The first man really to establish the house churches of China. He told me about one famous incident. The government was starting to crack down and Ni needed to gather all the leaders together to tell them how to negotiate these tough times. So he arranged for them all to come, I think it was to Shanghai, and he would speak to them. The police got wind of this meeting and they arranged to attend in plain clothes. And the moment Ni spoke would be the signal to rush the platform and arrest him. Now Watchman Ni was told of this and he was advised not to come but he desperately wanted to give some guidance to his followers. Times were hard. Times were going to get harder. They needed to hear some advice from the great man. So this is what he did. Ni came onto the platform. He just strode to the lectern. And then all he did was just look at everybody. Didn't say a word. For five whole minutes, he just looked at the audience. And they began to wonder, has he lost his nerve? Does he know what's going to happen to him if he speaks? And then he put on a very angry face and he picked up the glass that was full of water for the speaker and he dashed it onto the platform. And he crunched the glass, looking smug with his work. 
and everybody wondered, what's he doing? What's going on? Then he stopped, and he looked down at the pieces. His face began to change from hatred to horror. He held his hands to his temple. How could I have been so stupid? His expression seemed to say. And he got down on his hands and knees and began to pick up the pieces of the smashed glass. And he tried to put the glass back together again. Of course, this was futile. But he tried for five minutes. And then he gave up and walked off. He hadn't said a word, so the police couldn't act. But everybody, all the church leaders in that meeting, knew exactly what he had said. And I remember this man that I met. He said, Nee was acting out a parable. He represented the state and the glass was the church. And the time would come when the state would smash the church. And that would be hard to live through, but it was coming. But then the state would realize that it had made a mistake because in smashing the church, it had not destroyed it. It had just dispersed it underground where it was beyond state control. And so the state would realize its mistake and try to reconstitute the glass, try to bring the church back up to the surface where it could see what was going on. And he said it would fail because the smashing had been too thorough. Never again would the state be able to control the church. And that is exactly what happened. That's how it played out historically. Mao Zedong came along and he smashed the churches in China. But the Christians went into the homes and there the gospel became part of Chinese culture, embedding itself in families, sitting rooms, apartment blocks, in a way that missionaries had only dreamt of for centuries. One Shanghai pastor put it this way, before the early 1960s, we practiced Christianity in churches and hardly anywhere else. After the persecutions, we practiced it in our homes and therefore everywhere else. It took a smashing. And that's one of the stories that explains how China experienced such a massive revival. And that is a contemporary rerun of what happens in the book of Acts. From chapter 1 to chapter 6, everything goes great for the early church in Acts. The action all occurs in Jerusalem, there's growth, there's healing, and the church keeps on expanding. But the Holy Spirit knows something that the apostles did not. That if the people of God stayed in Jerusalem, then the gospel of God would die in Jerusalem. Because at this point, the apostles have no idea that Gentiles should also believe in Jesus. They thought the gospel was just for Jews. So in chapter 7, there comes a smashing. Stephen is put on trial, and following his martyrdom, we read that a great wave of persecution rose up. And then we see the line added, all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And so we see that persecution always does two things as it scatters believers. One, power gets shifted downwards to people who've never had it before. So who becomes the first man to take the gospel to a non-Jew? Well, it's not an apostle, because they were staying in Jerusalem. It was a deacon 
whose name was Philip. Now, that wouldn't have happened if there hadn't been this smashing. In Jerusalem, the apostles were the teachers and evangelists. The deacons, they were in charge of the fabric and the food. Persecution changes all that. Power shifts downwards to people who've never had it before. Philip finds himself able to preach, and he is the first cross-cultural missionary of the church. He wasn't ordained. He shouldn't have done it. The Holy Spirit doesn't care. And the second great gift of persecution is not only that power gets shifted downwards to people who've never had it before, but people get pushed outward to places they've never been before. Who does Philip share this gospel with? He shares it with the Samaritans. And they were half-Jews, but very despised in Jerusalem. The hatred between Jew and Samaritan ran very deep, like enmity between Catholic and Protestant, maybe, in Northern Ireland. It would never have crossed Philip's mind to share Jesus with the Samaritans if he'd stayed in Jerusalem. But because he found himself on the run in Samaria, he preached. And suddenly, he realizes Jesus died for Samaritans too. So it was in China. The gospel goes down to the people who've never had it before, ordinary people, and to places where it's never been before, the family unit. And from that came the world's largest revival. But it took a smashing. Behind all this lies a very disturbing question, though. Why does the church appear to need a smashing or persecution or hard times in order to share the gospel? And this is one of the most sobering truths of the Bible. God's people have a fatal tendency to try to keep God to themselves. If you want to say God is for everyone, you encounter very often the most resistance from the people of God themselves. A smashing. It often takes a smashing. But that's how the good news jumps a barrier. That's how the good news gets from Jerusalem to Rome. That's how the good news gets from a Jewish enclave to the center of the Gentile world. It took a smashing. It's hard news, but it's good news. Listen for the crunch. It's good news. It's a good sound. It's the gospel getting out. Well, that was an incredibly powerful story of Watchman Nee communicating symbolically and prophetically to the church in China. I've been thinking, if I'd have been there and I'd have seen what Watchman Nee did, I'm not sure I would have understood what he was trying to convey. Because of my uh, Western mindset, my Western framework of reference, I might have struggled to understand the persecution that he was demonstrating as he smashed that glass on the floor. For me, and maybe for you, we've been shielded from persecution in many ways. We don't experience the same persecution that people in different parts of the world do. We, we don't experience the same levels of suffering, uh, the same levels of oppression that happen in different countries across the world. And for me, maybe as I watched Watchman Nee smash that glass, I might have just been a bit confused, a bit 
annoyed, a bit frustrated that he was being so kind of wasteful uh, with something like that. I might have not understood what he was conveying in that action. When something gets smashed or broken around me, normally I find it annoying. I just want to get it fixed and get it sorted and move on. I don't often see God in the breaking in the same way those, those Chinese church leaders did as they watched uh, watchmen do that incredibly powerful act. But Ron encouraged us in the video, didn't he? He said, listen for the sound of the crunch. Listen for the sound of the breaking because it's a good sound. It means that God is at work. In Mark's Gospel, in our Bibles, there's a story with breaking at the very heart. And we're going to look at that now. So let's turn to Mark 14. I'm going to read from verse 1. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people will riot, may riot. While he, and we're talking about Jesus here, was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Mark doesn't identify the woman in this passage. Some people think it may have been Mary Magdalene, but Mark doesn't tell us the identity of the woman who brought the perfume into Jesus. But whoever this woman was, she entered into a moment of breaking. She came to Jesus with this alabaster jar filled with very expensive perfume made of pure nard. And the reason this perfume that she carried was so expensive is because it was made from a plant called the spikenard plant. And this plant only grows in the Himalayas in India and China and Nepal. And to get this, this plant from which they extract the oil or the ointment, the nard, the perfume, all the way to the Middle East, it would have been very costly and it would have been traded at great expense. And in fact, the onlookers estimate that the woman's perfume is worth more than a year's wages. There's an old saying, isn't it, that the engagement ring should cost a month's wages. Well, I checked this uh, recently and I found actually it's, it's now gone up to three months' wages. So if you plan to get married, you need to start saving now. But just transfer that to the woman and the value of this perfume. In effect, she was carrying the value of four engagement rings in that jar as she brought that perfume to Jesus. This was very, very expensive stuff. And the woman didn't bring the perfume in a glass bottle um, like we're familiar with today, that perfume comes in her aftershave. She brought it in an alabaster jar or box. And alabaster is a very soft stone that can be carved into all sorts of shapes. And it was carved to make receptacles for things like perfume. So she brought this perfume in an alabaster jar. And this jar was designed to safely store this really precious commodity. But the woman, she takes the jar and she breaks it. She breaks the alabaster jar. And in fact, she doesn't just break it. The word that Mark uses here in the gospel means she shattered it. She broke it like you and I would break a chocolate egg at Easter to eat it. She broke it completely. She shattered the jar. She wanted to release all the perfume that was inside. 
And you and I may be familiar with this Bible story. We may be familiar with it. It may, the gravity of what she did may kind of wash over us because we're familiar with the woman who broke the alabaster jar. But imagine taking four diamond engagement rings. Imagine smashing them to pieces with a hammer, turning those, those rings and diamonds into dust and beaten metal. That's the equivalent of what she did in terms of value when she chose to break open this alabaster jar. It was an audacious breaking. It was an extravagant and wasteful act, a nonsensical act that she did when she broke the alabaster jar. And firstly, we can see this breaking was, was costly. It was costly. This perfume was so, so expensive, so expensive. And, it's, and it seems such a waste to pour it all over Jesus. We're used to reading a story in our Bible, aren't we, called The Prodigal Son. Well, this story in Mark could be called The Prodigal Woman, because the word prodigal means to be extravagantly wasteful. And that's what she seemed to be doing with this perfume. She, she, it was a prodigal act. She poured it all over Jesus. She was wastefully, recklessly extravagant as she poured out this perfume. Every last drop she poured out on Jesus. This was a costly breaking. And secondly, the breaking was a total breaking. She took this, this jar and she broke it to pieces. It couldn't be put back together again. It was broken beyond repair. This was a one-time act. It meant that no perfume could be saved, no perfume could be kept back. The whole thing was broken open. And as you read this, you think, well, why did she have to do that? Why didn't she just take the lid off the bottle or the box or the jar and pour the perfume out on Jesus? Why did she have to break it? Well, I think the reason may be that sometimes this perfume knob was also made into an ointment, a thicker kind of oil. And I think she was so determined to get every last drop of this beautiful perfume out of this jar that the only way to do that was to break it open, was to smash it, so she could scoop and take every last drop and anoint her saviour with it. This breaking is costly, and this breaking is total. And also this breaking of the jar seems so unreasonable. Those watching the woman break the jar think she's done the most ridiculous, absurd thing. It angers them, it grieves them. Why has she chosen to waste this perfume in this way? They tell her what she should have done. What she should have done was sell the perfume and the money raised could have been given to help the poor. Surely that's what Jesus would have wanted. They rebuke her for her foolishness, for her, her absurd action in breaking the alabaster jar. This is the first part of the breaking story. The cost, the far-reaching consequence, and the seeming something happening that's contrary to our expectation or our understanding. God often works in breaking moments like this. When God called Abraham to leave his family to go to a new land, there was a breaking moment in that call. He said, leave your father's house, leave the people you know, leave the country, the household, and go to a land I will show you. And you can read about this in Genesis chapter 12. The call was costly. Leave the security of your father's house. The call was total. Leave the place that you know, the people that you know, and the country that you know. And the call was unreasonable. I'm not going to tell you 
where you're going to go until you choose to leave. God was faithful to Abraham in, in the process of this call, in the midst of the breaking that he endured. And we all experience breaking moments, don't we, like this? We all experience times when we're in the midst of the breaking and, and we're feeling the cost and we're feeling the pain and we're trying to wrestle and make sense and understanding of what is happening to us. At the moment, we're in the breaking of the COVID pandemic and the breaking, it feels so costly, doesn't it? it, it we, we feel the cost in ourselves, in our emotions, in our, in our spirits, in, in our social understanding and connection. We, we bear the cost of this breaking that's taking place in our nation. The breaking's costing, the breaking feels total. We're not sure how anything's gonna, ever going to go back to where it should be. Our vision of the future is obscure. We don't know... We haven't got a blueprint of how the world will be kind of put back together again. It feels like the jar is broken and we're not sure how it can come back together. And the breaking seems so unreasonable. It's contrary to our understanding. It cuts against our desire to be in control of our lives and our futures. It causes grievance in us. It frustrates us. It causes indignation. It's cut across our expectation of how life should be. And we've turned that frustration into anger towards the people in power and the, and the people close by. And like the onlookers in Mark's story, we've all got an opinion of how these, this should have gone, how, what we should have done, how we should have acted. We've all got an opinion on how things should have gone. Perhaps the woman in the story just got it wrong. Perhaps she had been wasteful and foolish. Perhaps she misunderstood Jesus' heart and what she should have done with the perfume. But then Jesus speaks, and we enter the second phase of this breaking. He says this in verse 6, Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them at any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus tells us that the breaking that was costly, that was total, and seemed so unreasonable, is actually beautiful. He rebukes the rebukers. He says this total breaking, this, this prodigal act, was a beautiful thing. The irresponsible stewardship of the perfume actually was a beautiful, beautiful act. He doesn't nullify the constant care that's needed for the poor. But he tells the onlookers, the people who are watching on and criticising the woman, that none of them have offered to do what she has done. She's the only one that's entered into his suffering. We have to remember that Jesus knew he was heading for the cross. He must have been in inner anguish and turmoil, wrestling with the choices that he would have to make. And she was the only one there that understood and entered into the suffering with him. By breaking the jar, by pouring out the perfume, she had entered his suffering and prepared him for what was coming, for what lay ahead. Breakings don't ever feel beautiful in the moment. But the breaking releases the fragrance. It releases the life. 
and the breaking and the smashing of the alabaster jar allowed all the fragrance that was inside to be released, to become a beautiful, beautiful thing. We follow and serve a saviour whose, whose fragrance is released through brokenness. Jesus then tells us that the breaking was beautiful, but also the breaking was personal. He says this, it's a tiny phrase, but such an important one. He says, she did what she could do. <clears throat> she did what she could do. She chose to enter into that costly personal breaking with Jesus. She did what she could do when she took the alabaster jar and broke it and anointed him. And often as Christians, we look to the left or to the right, don't we? We look, we look to others to try and find out what the level is. You know, what's an acceptable, passable standard to be a follower of Jesus? But we have to understand that there wasn't a queue of people in that room waiting to anoint Jesus with expensive perfume. If she hadn't have broken that jar, no one else was going to break a jar that day. No one else was going to do the beautiful thing that she did. There wasn't a queue because she did what she could do. She took what she had and she came to Jesus. And I suppose the question is today, what's God encouraging you to do? What is it that you can do? What's the personal act connected to Jesus that you can do, that no one else can do? In his letter to the Ephesians, the apostle Paul writes this, he says, for we're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And the inference here is that God has prepared unique things for you and I to walk into, unique things for you and I to do, things that only we can do. That woman responded to a call in her heart to extravagantly anoint Jesus with, with perfume. It was a wasteful, prodigal act, but she felt a heart call to do it. She did what she could do. She walked into an act that God seems to have prepared for her to do. There are many things in life that anyone can do, but there are a few things in life that only you can do. No one else can be the husband or wife to your spouse that you can be. No one else can be the father or mother to your children that you can be. No one else can be the brother or sister that you can be. No one else can be the, the, the friend or the neighbour or the colleague that you can be. You see, there's so many things in life that we can't abdicate. So many things in life others can do and we tend to focus on them, but actually there's certain things only you and I can uniquely do. The woman with the alabaster jar did what she could. It's what she could do. It was the personal act that's important here. Just think about it. If she hadn't anointed Jesus, then Jesus wouldn't have been anointed. That act wouldn't have taken place. No one else in that room had a jar of perfume the way that she did. So she did what she could. Jesus said the breaking was beautiful, the breaking was personal, but also the breaking was gospel. It was a gospel moment. He said this, truly I tell you, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. The woman chose to enter into the great story, the great gospel story of God's love and God's grace. She entered into that when she broke that alabaster jar, when she did that act. She did something uniquely precious and uniquely timely for her saviour. She became a co-creator of the gospel 
Ron talked about this a few weeks ago. We get the chance to co-create the gospel as we partner with God. And she did that. She's now part of the gospel narrative because of this, this extravagant act that she did. So let's summarise that breaking often comes to us in these two stages. The first stage when we count the cost of the breaking. We, we lean into the pain. We try and look for understanding and meaning in what's happening in the circumstance. And the second stage is when we get to see God's love at work. We get to see the beauty in the breaking that's being unfolded before us. Maybe we see how the fragrance of the gospel has been released through these actions. Following the breaking of the alabaster jar in Mark's gospel comes another breaking. We know that the the chief priests are looking to, to arrest Jesus, looking to kill him, to murder him, to smash him, to break him. And Judas decides that he's going to betray Jesus. So he goes off to the chief priest and he says, I'll betray him. And they're delighted. They're delighted with the opportunity. And we know that Judas does betray Jesus. We know the chief priests do arrest him. We know that he's falsely accused. And we know the ultimate smashing and breaking takes place when Jesus is put to death on a Roman cross. And this breaking of Jesus is the ultimate alabaster jar. Nothing more precious has ever been broken. No more beautiful fragrance has ever been released than was released on that cross when Jesus died. As we come to Jesus today, we can take great comfort in the fact that we, we serve and worship a God who knows all about breaking, knows all about the journey and experience of breaking. You might be feeling pretty broken today. You might be wondering, where is God at work in all that's around me? You can be comforted from the fact that Jesus is right with you in the breaking. He experienced the ultimate breaking. He said, my body will be broken for you. My blood will be shed for you. In my brokenness, you will find life and love. We serve and walk with a God who's fully acquainted with breaking. And he said, because of my brokenness, my love for you will never be broken. What I'm offering you, what I'm drawing you into, an eternal life with the Father in love, that can never be broken because of the brokenness that I went through. So I want to pray for you today. I want to pray you'll experience some of God's love flowing into the, maybe the brokenness that you feel at this time. So maybe you might want to close your eyes. You might want to open your hands to receive what God has for you as we pray. So Lord Jesus, you're the God of all love and comfort. And I pray right now, God, that you presence yourself right where we are as we watch this. The fragrance of your love would just fill the spaces and places where we are. Come and fill the room with your love and your fragrance. And God, as we're feeling broken, I pray that God, that out of your brokenness, that great love that was released would flow in to our brokenness, God, would flow into our situation. Where, God, we're feeling the cost. Where, God, we're struggling to see how things can be repaired. Where we're, we're struggling to find meaning and understanding, God. I pray you'd flow in, God, into that brokenness, into those spaces, God, that's been created. And, God, show us, show us your beauty. Show us your love. Give us hope, God, in our spirits, we pray. And, God, I, find we've, I pray we'd find beauty 
in the breaking, God. I pray we'd find intimacy in the breaking, and I pray we'd find you in the midst of the breaking this morning. So God, flow in, we pray. Just let the Spirit touch you now. Let the Spirit touch you. Just feel the presence of the Holy Spirit right where you are. Because of the breaking that Jesus endured, his Spirit has been released for you. It's like the perfume that's been released as, as the bottle was broken, as the jar was broken, the fragrance of the Holy Spirit has been released over the whole earth. And it fills the place where you are now. It can come and fill your heart, open your heart. Let Jesus anoint you with his love and his grace this morning. Thank you, Lord. We bless your name. I'm just going to close today by praying for China. Lord, we thank you for the men and women of God like Watchman Nee. We thank you that your church in China continues to grow at an astonishing rate, even though it suffers continually, continued hostility and oppression, God. We pray for the power of your gospel to continue to, to move, God, through every level of that country, God, from the highest to the lowest, God. Fill the believers in China, God, with wisdom and discernment. How, God, how to live, God, as they're increasingly being monitored by different kinds of technology, God, as they come under that, that constant gaze from the authorities, God. We pray you give them wisdom and grace. Empower them, God. Empower them to speak boldly for you in grace and truth and love. Continue to build your church, God. We pray for your sustaining power in the church in China, God. We thank you for their incredible testimony and the stories that we're hearing that encourage us so much. And God, we pray for a, a, a full pouring out of your spirit, God, in every way measurable, God. Meet every need that they have, God. And we ask this in the precious, precious name of Jesus. Amen. So Lord, we bless you this morning. Just continue to receive from God. You don't have to rush away today. Just continue to receive all that he has for you. Let that, that oil of his presence flow into your life afresh this morning. He's the ultimate prodigal. He's the ultimate extravagant person. He poured out everything for you and for me. And that perfume is a sim symbolism. It's symbolism, the most expensive perfume, extravagantly and wastefully given. And Jesus said, I'll give everything, everything I am, everything who I am, so I can love you and you can love me. We can be back in relationship. So Lord, we just pray for that outpouring to continue throughout this week. In your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside. <laughs>